Welcome to the Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com. Ah, good morning, Calvary. Try again. Good morning, Calvary. Ah, that's better. That's better. Uh, just one shortcut on the Easter egg stuff. If you, it, To make it real simple, just leave the candy outside my office door. If you'll do that, it'll all be taken care of, I promise. <laughs> all right, turn your Bibles this morning to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. Just going to look at one verse. 2 Peter chapter 1. Father, as we come here to seek you, to know you, to honor, worship, surrender, confess our sins, receive your touch, Lord, these are all gifts of your hands. Thank you. Thank you that you are here right now, that we are not alone, that you are in this room that you are with us, Emmanuel. And God, I pray that you will do the miracle of ministry, take human words, turn them to spirit and life. And Lord, may your purposes in us and through us, God, may they flow into this world that others might taste and see that you're good, that our lives might be sources of your presence, of your truth, of your mercy. So Lord, we just... Surrender fresh to you right now. Lord, we are yours. Use us, God. Speak to us now. Fill us. Equip us. Transform us by the work of your spirit. Wash us with the water of your word. Give us manna for the day, Lord, our souls to be strengthened and sustained by your word and your truth. So speak to us now, living one, Father, creator. And we thank you for what you're going to do. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, our soon-coming King, amen and amen. If you're a guest, I'm Pastor Steve, one of the pastors here, and glad to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. Second Peter chapter 1. I'm going to pick a verse that is going to seem a little out of, not out of context, but uh, it needs to be in a larger context. But I just want to pick up one idea out of here to share with us this morning. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. It says, for by these, and he's talking about his glory, his goodness, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And what I really want to talk about here is becoming partakers of the divine nature. What a statement that is, that we're not just separated human beings. We're human beings who are actually meant to be joined with God, that the Spirit of God dwells in us. We know that's what being a Christian means, Romans 8, 9. If we don't have the Spirit, we don't belong to Christ. When we give our lives to Jesus, the Spirit of Christ comes to live in us. There's a marriage that happens. There's a union that happens. And the Spirit of the living God actually lives in us. So I want to talk this morning about your inner life with God. 
that within us, God is there. We, we don't get it. I mean, it's beyond, it's, it's transrational, right? Not irrational, transrational. We, we can't understand it from a rational standpoint. But there are things about faith that we need to go beyond our rationalism, which has brought a lot of good things, science, medicine, education, a lot of good stuff rest in rationalism. But its dark side is it will rob you of faith because faith goes beyond what's rational. Faith goes into the transrational. Faith goes into the place where God dwells, and that happens to be in us as well as everything else. I mean, God is with us everywhere in all things. God is our Father and our Creator and our Savior, so He interacts with us in so many. Everything we need, He is. Everything we need, He is. Pastor Jeff's been preaching on the joy of the disciplines, talking about spiritual practices we can do and the joy of God that they're meant to produce in our lives because what they do is they cement a relationship or they foster a relationship with God where we know Him better, where we feel more connected to Him. We hear His voice more clearly. We give Him opportunity to work in us. And so I wanted to take that idea about the disciplines and take it into the place where God dwells in us because this is where they rise up. It starts in us. God dwells in you and me. We are partakers of the divine nature. God's not just out there. He's also in here. We have the God transcended above us, ruling, reigning. His dominion is over everything. But we also have the inside God where who is with us, where there's that mystery, that transrational dwelling of God in us. You know, there are times we should be glad rationalism does not win the argument. Think about the day when Gabriel appeared to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and asked this teenage girl that God so admired, literally says, you are highly favored. I, she is a great girl. She's got a great heart. And ask her, would she help the, bring the Messiah into the world? And she says, be it done unto me according to that word. Listen, if rationalism had won out that moment, there would be no savior, right? I mean, she had to surrender something that was beyond the rational. We need to learn to do that, and it's not easy for us as Westerners because we are just born and bred in rationalism. Again, which has many good things. I'm not against it. I'm for it. But if we don't juxtapose that to faith and recognize there are things beyond what we can understand that are I want to say more real, but that might get me in trouble. But they are, they are real. They are there. And uh, we need to learn how to walk in those things. And so here we have these precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. The promises are meant to help foster the divine nature in us, create an atmosphere in which it can grow and develop, which it can entwine itself in the fibers of our humanity and live in us and Philippians 2.13, that God wills and works in us for his good pleasure. He's stirring our, our wills. He's moving us to make the right choices. If we'll learn to listen to that voice inside, if we'll learn to respond to the God who lives in us and moves through us. So what I look at when I see all the promises of God, and we're going to look at a few of them in just a moment, a lot of times we have doctrines without reality. It's like, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But are, how real are they to us? What reality do they actually engage us in? 
Do we have beliefs with fruit or without fruit? How many beliefs do you have that you'd say, well, you know, I believe this, but I don't see it in my life. There's no real fruit that's coming from, oh, I believe the right things. Well, okay, so does the devil. But, you know, there's no fruit in this life except bad fruit, right? We can have the promises, all these promises of God, but what if there's no power that makes them flow through us? move through our character, our choices, our nature, our relationships. We need more than doctrines without reality and beliefs without fruit and promises without power. We need to engage those promises where we become partakers of the divine nature. Isn't that what this says? When this thing is working rightly, the promises cause the divine nature to take, make its home in us and operate in us in a relationship with God, a loving relationship with God. This all started me and Mike in my journey when I was really in a period of burnout as a pastor here in 1985, 86, I guess it was, somewhere along there. I was really, really burned out. And I remember one of the first times I actually heard God speak to me where it's like, I knew this was God talking. And he asked me this question. He, st he said, Steve, what good are your doctrines if they don't work? What good are your doctrines if they don't work, if there's promises and no power, beliefs and no fruit? What good is it? And I took a yellow pad and drew my line across and down the middle, and I put my doctrines and my life. And I started listing stuff I believe, doctrines, stuff I could teach on, you know? Peace, you know, the peace of God. And like, what's my life like? Well, it's full of worry. You know, uh, the power from on high. I feel weak and empty. It's like over and over, stuff that I believe, stuff I had doctrines for, but it wasn't real in my life. What good are your doctrines if they don't work? I mean, is God teasing us? I had to ask, you know, God, are you, maybe, or maybe he's teasing us, you know? It's like, good answer. No, he's not teasing. This is how we're supposed to live. This is how we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be. And so I, I, I took that before the Lord, and I finally said, well, God, if you've got these promises, and it's supposed to do this in our life, but none of it's true in my life, I got to figure the problem is probably with me and not with you, right? I mean, at some point I had to realize, where's the problem here? Where, where's the breakdown? And I was smart enough to know it's probably not with him. It's got to be with me. So I began to seek the Lord and say, Lord, how do I see this stuff become real in me? How does this fruit actually, I mean, how does he promises actually bring forth fruit in my life? Well, let's just look at a few and maybe make your own list this morning, your doctrines and your life. And maybe you need to take some time this week and just do this between you and the Lord. Start writing down stuff you believe and compare your life. Is it true in me? Is it producing fruit? Or is there power? Is there presence in this? What is this, what is this doctrine doing in me? Does it work? Let's take a few examples. Let's juxtapose the promise of rest for our souls with weariness, drivenness. Which is it? Do you live with rest for your soul or weariness and drivenness? Which would be more true if you don't raise your hands? You'll get in trouble, I know. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. 
Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will have rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Do you think he's teasing? Does he really mean this? I assume he does mean this, right? And then we'd have to ask, well, maybe he doesn't have the power to pull it off. And again, I'm going to say that's probably the wrong answer. He probably does have the power to pull it off, right? So what are we going to do? We look at this. He promises, if I come to Jesus, if I'm living with him, walking, whatever it is, I'm going to have a soul that feels rested. So you just have to ask yourself, would your life, your soul, your inner life be more characterized by a rested soul or weariness, something that doesn't say rest? What would it be like, you could ask another question, what would it be like if your inner life was permeated with shalom, the peace of God? What would it be like? What would that look like? How would you be differently in your attitudes, your relationships, the way you do your work, the way you treat your employees, the way you, whatever it is, how would shalom permeating, ruling around you make you different? Because that's what it means to partake of the divine nature. We start treating people like Jesus would treat them like God would treat them, like his word says we should. We would start doing our work the way he commands us. Well, you get the idea. How about this promise, John 14, 27? 14, 27, the gospel of John. Peace I leave with you, Jesus says. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled, and do not be afraid. So which would it be? Peace. Is that the character of your life you're living? Or anxiety, worry, a troubled heart. Do not let your heart be troubled. It's actually a command. And the only way that command is going to work is if you have the peace. If we have the promise living and bearing fruit, if it has power in our lives. You know, sometimes when you look at the, the world and what a mess it is, and I, you know, I grew up as my kids and their friends used to say when they were younger, you, you guys live in a leave it to beaver world, you know? It's like there's a whole different world than we live in now. And that's true. There's a, there's a whole lot of truth to that. It's a different world. But listen, if we get into this place where our world looks like it's coming unraveled, and we've talked about that, and where the Lord's headed, and all his plans and purposes, so I'm not going there this morning, but there comes a time when, when we love what we had, and how it used to be, and now where we are, it, we almost feel like we have a right to worry, a right to be troubled. It's like the world's messed up, of course, and so we feel troubled over it, yet the Lord says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it happen to you. How do you not let it happen to you? The power of peace. The, God's power of peace. Because this is God in us that brings peace, right? Don't let trouble rule your heart. That's the promise of God that it won't if we're filled with Jesus' peace. Well, how about this promise? Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What's the kingdom of God like? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Again, relational. It's about relating to the Spirit of God in the right way. And the fruit of that is righteousness, peace, and joy. I've got to tell you, I'm for climate change. I mean, we all need to have, I believe, 
personal climate change. A few weeks ago, the Lord spoke to me about this and said, Steve, you need to make climate change in your life. I'm like, Lord, what are you talking about? And the Lord said, I want to dwell in an atmosphere of righteousness, peace, and joy. That's an inner climate that we need for God to be at home in our lives. So the question is, we're promised this, the kingdom of God, and we're in the kingdom of God. It's not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not just stuff that we do. It's about the character, the nature of our inner life, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So I just prayed then, Lord, I, climate change, make my climate change. I want to be characterized by righteousness, peace, and joy. So is that the fruit of our lives? Or what would be the things to juxtapose? What would our lives be like if this promise is not producing fruit in us? Impurity, anxiousness, and frustration. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Impurity, frustration, I mean anxiousness, and frustration. Which more characterizes your life? What would be more true of your inner atmosphere. We all have to look at that and say, you know, these are God's promises for me. Why aren't they working? What's happening here? Well, let's look at another promise. How about John 15, 5? Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains or abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So juxtapose the promise of fruitfulness, if we're abiding in Christ, to busyness and barrenness. We can be busy, but barren, there's no real spiritual fruit in our lives, through our lives, or we can be seeing God work and fruit is coming forth. Both character, nature, relationships, the gospel, all of those things would be flowing through our lives naturally and normally in what we're doing. So which are we, busy and barren? Uh, and barren, or are we abiding in Christ and being full of fruit, seeing fruit? Don't miss, again, the abiding part, right? Because that's the key. This, it's always going to come back to relationship. It's not going to come back to a rational formula because it's not rationalism. This is faith. This is the spirit realm, and it works on some different principles, right? So if you abide in me, he says, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, it is the depth of your intimacy that determines the degree of your fruitfulness. It is the depth of your intimacy that determines the degree of your fruitfulness. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. How about this promise, Ephesians 3.19? that we are to know this love, the love of Christ it's talking about, that surpasses knowledge, so we're going beyond rational, rationalism here, just beyond that, the love that surpasses knowledge, that you may, here's the purpose of this, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We have capacities to be filled with God. So let's juxtapose, do you feel, do you feel filled with God? Is your inner life like... I feel God's there. I love it. I've got a great relationship with him. Or would we characterize ourselves as more empty or half full or alone? Which is it? Are the promises working in our life? How's your spiritual gas tank? Full, half full, running on fumes? Where are we? It's like that's something we have to go before God and take an honest look at. God's not a liar, right? 
He tells us he watches over his word to perform it. These are promises he made to his followers, to his children, to his bride. I mean, let's look at all the relationships the Bible talks about us between us and God and realize these things are meaningful to God. These things are precious to God. He actually wants you to have these things in your life. And it makes him so at home in you. And it makes our lives so much what they're meant to be. But we have to look and say, okay, are the promises more true or the opposite of the promises? Our inner life. The reason this has really popped up to me is because of Pastor Jeff's sermon series on the joy of the disciplines. Because the spiritual disciplines, and I like to use the word practices because I hate discipline. Uh, spiritual practices. <laughs> uh, I love spiritual practices. Um, Spiritual practices foster in us the power for these promises to take root. They give them room to grow in us. They give them room to form in us. That's the purpose of the spiritual practices. They're not bargaining chips. We don't do them so God will bless us or God will be good to us or God will protect us. We're not earning brownie points by, you know, meditating or praying or worshiping or, you know, lots and lots of spiritual practices. So, we need to look at that and say, okay, is this deepening my relationship with God? Because if that's not happening, we're not doing the spiritual practices properly. <laughs> we're missing the joy of it, which is a deeper relationship with God, right? That's where this takes us. That's why I love he, he put this in the joy category because joy is sort of this overall atmosphere to me of what does it mean to live with God? There ought to be joy in our lives if we are filled with God. God is a joyful being. He is. So he's not a liar. He means what he says. He watches over his word to perform it. He has power to do it. So we have to say, okay, if the promises are less true and the opposite are more true of me, I've got a problem. I need to do something differently. And that's where I found myself all those years ago saying, this does not work right. God, what am I doing wrong? And so I remember taking that time to say, God, you got to show me how to do it because obviously I'm not doing it right. And I, and I moved out of those categories of, you know, having a prayer time or what, so God will protect my family or God will bless my ministry or God will. It's like we're not earning stuff from God by doing this. We're trying to fall in love with God. We're trying to get intimate with God. We're trying to sharpen our hearing so we start to hear that still, small voice a lot clearer in the midst of all the noise of the world. Because the world throws lots of noise at us. Satan will throw some stuff at us. Our own brains throw some stuff at us. But how about that still, small voice? I believe God is a communicating being. He is not silent. He didn't write just one bestseller and go away and live on the royalties. He's still speaking. He speaks today. So we want to hear God. We want to have our inner life attuned to him. And that's what spiritual practices are for, to sharpen that attunement, to make the connection stronger, not to earn, not to achieve, not to get something from God, but to know God better. And that's that great prayer of Ephesians 3, I mean, 117, that we might have a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. That's what spiritual practices are all about. They bring us to approach life in a way that now we're living out of awareness of God. We have what I call the grace of awareness. It's a grace. It's a gift. But we can feed that gift. We can do things that nourish that in us to become aware all the time, everywhere, whatever you're doing, God is with you. 
which is what he says he is, Emmanuel, God with us. We're never apart. We're never alone from God. So we live in this world of, you could boil life down to two things, relationships and responsibilities. Pretty much that covers most everything if you make the big categories. But relationships and responsibilities, but all those things start to put pressure on us, don't they? Relationships, every relationship has its set of expectations and things it requires of us, and all our responsibilities put pressure on us, you know. And other people, sometimes it's like they have a something they want you to do, and this person has something they want you to do, and this person's like, it can be a lot of pressure coming from a lot of different relationships and a lot of different responsibilities. I remember when uh, uh, our granddaughter Maddie was little, about four years old or something, and she, we would watch her running around the gym after services sometimes in there. She'd be four-year-old. She'll have, you know, five or six or seven, seven or eight-year-olds following her around, you know. She'd just have them in a line, making them do whatever she wanted to do. And around the house and times when we were together as family, we would always say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and so does Maddie, because it's like she would always, she would always get you doing something. She she had a, a way to make you do things. Listen, people can put a lot of pressure on you, right? I mean, people can they can use that that uh, relationship they have to put pressure, and so we feel like there are all these expectations, and sometimes it gets overwhelming, doesn't it? It's like all the relationships, all the responsibilities, pressure, pressure, pressure. Like, how are we going to have enough energy to deal with this? How are we going to have enough wisdom? How do we have enough love? How do we have enough mercy? How do we have enough truth? Where does all that come from? All that comes from God, doesn't it? That's why the disciplines are so important, because they fill up our inner life with God. They fill up our inner being with God's presence. And when we get attuned to that, we can hear that still small voice giving us wisdom. When we ask for it, he says, hey, I'll give it to you. Just don't doubt me. I'm going to do it, right? James 1, 5. It's like when you ask, don't doubt. I'll give you what you need. And we need to have that faith in us. Here we go, beyond rationalism again, into the spirit realm, faith and trust. God's going to speak to me. God's going to show me something. God's going to open a, a door. God's going to do whatever needs to be done. And so we come with all these expectations and pressure points and stress and frustration. And the only way we're ever going to be able to manage that is to have a life so full of God that no matter what comes, we can handle it. And do you know that's actually biblical, right? What does Paul say in Philippians chapter 4? He says, I've learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So when our inner life is filled with God, Paul is saying, I've learned the secret. And he says, I've learned the secret. It's like, you want a secret of God? Get your inner life filled with God, and no matter what comes, you'll be okay. You'll have what you need to handle. It doesn't mean we're going to never have pain. We're never going to have sacrifice. It doesn't, God never promises that to us. But he says, I can handle it when it comes. I'll be able to deal with it in a way that will honor Christ. Think about him in Acts 16. He's in the Roman dungeon. That is not a nice place, you know. It's like our jails today would probably be, you know, Taj Mahal compared to a Roman prison. It's like they're in, it's not good. And what are they doing at midnight? They're singing hymns of praise to God. I think he was filled with something that sometimes I'm not filled with. <laughs> he had a he had a, a, a climate change. It was righteousness, peace, and joy in him, no matter what the outward circumstances were. Don't say it can't be done. They did it. 
the disciples, they preach Jesus in the temple. They get arrested. They get beaten. They get their lashes, and they go on their way, what? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. They were rejoicing. Would we fare that well with physical torture for representing Jesus? Listen, we can. They did. Jesus did on the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. He despised the cross. I mean, it's like it's, it's not, he doesn't take pleasure and pain. That's not what's happening. It says he despised it, but for the joy set before him, he endured it. He had something inside, a joy. Here's Jeff's preaching on the joy of the disciplines. It puts a joy in you to know, I have a real God. My eternity is absolutely secure. I can go through anything to please him. You can but only if our inner life is filled with God. And our options, if we don't have that, Pastor Jeff said it, drop out, cop out, burn out, break down, blow up. That's where we're left. Those are your choices apart from being filled with God. Well, what do we do? Let me give you four realities for a God-filled life. All right? Four realities for a God-filled life. Number one. We need to cultivate inner fullness, which is really where I've been setting this table here, about being full of God. We become partakers of the divine nature. And the way we do that is what Jeff's been preaching for several weeks, is a relational practice of spiritual discipline, spiritual practices. You have to practice them relationally. Please don't miss that word. You can do Bible study and prayer and worship and whatever other disciplines you're doing, service, sacrifice, whatever you're doing, you can do it again to earn brownie points with God, to earn God's favor, da-da-da-da-da. It's like if that's our attitude to purchase things, to buy things, to barter with God, we are not cultivating a relationship. We're just a consumer, right? We're supposed to be worshipers, <laughs> surrenderers, sacrifices. like we're supposed to be like Jesus, who laid down his life for us. So we need to cultivate an inner fullness, and we do that by relationally practicing the spiritual disciplines. Come to God because, God, I want to know you. I want to know you. To know him, Paul says in Philippians 3, and the power of his resurrection. To know him and the power of his resurrection. We need to want to know him. This is something that has to happen in our lives, to this inner fullness. Jesus said it this way, John 7, 37. On the last day, greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he means the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So where does the living water come from? Within, right? We have an inner door to the presence of God. We have a throne we can bow before, and we can make requests, come boldly to the throne room. God's on the outside. Yes, we could do that. I do that regularly. But we also have an inner door into the chamber where God dwells in us, and we can commune with him. We can talk with him. We can worship him. We can love him. We can surrender to him. And in that connection, something starts to flow out of us. 
and our inner life begins to be full of his presence. And when we become aware of that, then all the relationships and responsibilities, there's a resource for everything that comes at us. As Paul says, I've learned the secret. No matter what comes, I know how to do it. It's through Christ who lives in me. Cultivate that inner relationship, that inner fullness with Christ. The living water originates from within. The inner fullness, it doesn't come from correct doctrines. It comes from intimate communion. Now, I'm not against correct doctrine. Don't put me there. I want to do the best I can. But that's not the source of our strength. It's when the doctrines become communion when they get translated into something that's more than in our heads, something more than ideas, something more than information, they become a love affair with our creator. God, you're awesome. I love you. Thank you for life. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Our doctrines become a part of communion. And so as we practice the spiritual disciplines relationally, that communion grows and grows, and we create an atmosphere in which God can dwell in us. So cultivating inner fullness. Number two, reality for a God-filled life. Simplify your life to one goal. Simplify your life to one goal, and that one goal is pleasing God. Pleasing God. How do I please God? That question will address anything you run into in this life. God, how can I please you in this, in this moment? in this conversation, in this situation. God, what can I do to please you? That is the best thing you can always do anyway, right? So, but this is how we have an inner fullness, by creating that I have one expectation to live by, one go, God, I want to just be pleasing to you. And I want to show you, this is a biblical. Some people say, that's an oversimplification, Steve. You can't do that. Oh, yes, you can. Listen to the God's Word, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Paul says, for this reason, since the day we heard about it, we've not stopped praying for you, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit for every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, pleasing him. That's what God, Paul is saying, that's what we're praying for. This is really what we want, that you will please him in every way, and that's going to result in fruit. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul speaking of his own testimony. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Paul says, this is my goal whether I'm dead or alive, right? I'm going to be trying to please him. And of course, he's never dead. He knows on the other side of that. But whether he's in the body or away from the body for now, before the Lord returns with resurrected bodies, my goal, I'm going to please him. That's Paul's goal in life. It's an eternal goal. We're already in eternity, right? I mean, by definition, this, this is eternity. It's already happening. It's always been going on. It's always going to go on. So we need to just keep going. Please him in everything, in every way. Ephesians 5, 8 through 10. For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. That's what we're looking for. i got to find that in this situation, in this circumstance, with this person. God, how do I please you at this moment? One goal. John 8, 29. Here's the capper. This is the center of the life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The one who sent me, Jesus says, the one who sent me, the Father, 
has not left me alone. I've got this grace of awareness in me. For, here's why, I always do what pleases him. This is Jesus. Here's my goal for life, Jesus says. I want to please him. The one who sent me is with me. Boy, that's a good supply. That's a great thing to have, an inner fullness. He's not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Simplify your life. It's not complicated. Just say, God, how can I please you? So, realities of a God-filled life. Cultivate inner fullness. Simplify your life to one goal. Please, God. Number three, acknowledge that you are inadequate. Acknowledge that you are inadequate. We are all inadequate. We've got to learn that. We've got to believe that. Self must not be allowed to remain at the center. It must not be allowed to remain on the throne of our lives. There's only one who can occupy the throne, and that's God. And when we put self on the throne, when self tries to decide, when self tries to rule, when self wants to be pleased, we are going to make a mistake. The presence of God must become the center and recognize that we can't do this on our own. The secret to being filled with security and ability is to know I'm dependent on God. And that's what Paul is saying here through these passages that we've read. I've learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ, right? It's like the secret is to learn to be inadequate without being insecure, I can be inadequate without being insecure. My security is the fact that I belong to Jesus Christ and God dwells in me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says it. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. Our competence comes from God. So just admit it. God, I'm not adequate for life, but you are. <laughs> Fill me. Live through me. Think in me, right? Renew my mind. Renew my life. Let your character, your divine nature be formed in me because we're meant to be joined with him in communion with him, in union with him. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul says, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may dwell in me. And here's the Paul, Philippians 4.11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything to Christ who gives me strength. There's our adequacy. Know where it comes from. It comes from being with him. Now, whether we got a lot or a little, whether we got much or nothing, Paul says the secret is just always know Christ is in me. God is in me. And that is my resource for everything that comes into life. Inner life, cultivating it. Fullness through spiritual practices, spiritual discipline. Simplify your life to one goal. Please, God, acknowledge you're inadequate. And number four, keep God's throne at the center. Keep God's throne at the center of your life. I mean, that's one of the purposes of the spiritual disciplines, to keep drawing us back to the throne of God 
to be there where everything is centered. The whole universe centers around the throne of God. You just take Revelation 4 and 5 this afternoon and read it, and read it carefully and recognize everything's revolving from one point, and that is the throne of God. A few verses, Revelation 4, 4. Around the throne there were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their head. I read it fast. Don't miss the first phrase. Around the throne. That's where all the elders are. They're around the throne. That's where our lives need to be centered. Revelation 4, 6. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, and crist uh, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes front and behind. So the living creatures, the seraphim here, we see back in Isaiah 6 and Ezekiel chapter 1. Here in Revelation 4, 5, these beings, their lives are centered around what? The throne of God. And these are some awesome beings. Revelation 5, 11. I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. Where are they? Around the throne. And the living creatures and the elders and the numbers of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and on the sea, and all things in them. What did we just name? We just named every dog, every bug, every bird, every person, every tree, every ocean. We just named everything that exists. Where is it? Every created thing in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them. I, I left out fish. Fishes, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. There's how to fill your life with God. Keep it centered around the throne. Recognize we are a part of this great creation, and everything finds its meaning and its purpose and its joy in God. Find your joy in God. Center your life in God, and you will find you will be filled with God's adequacy, not your own. God's character, God's nature. We become, back to our passage, our text, partakers, sharers of the divine nature. It takes root and grows in us. Let me close with two truths. Put these deep in your heart. Don't let them go. Number one, the main purpose for God making you is not to do something but to contain someone. The main purpose for God making you is not to do something but to contain someone. We exist to be a dwelling place of God. We exist to be an expression of God. I mean, that's exactly what we're meant to be. The mere fact uh, we think of just being a, a well-working cog in a religious machine and church life and get the work done and all that, it's like, that's not really what it's about. That is something that branches off of the central thing. And that central thing is that God dwells in here. God wants to live his life through me. You just let this phrase kind of wash up on the shore of your soul when you get up in the morning. Just spend about 
half an hour, just whatever you're doing, drinking your coffee or whatever, just let this keep washing on the shore of your soul. The life of God is living itself in me. The life of God is living itself in me. God is wanting to express himself through us, in us, to us, and through us. We're free-willed. We can reject that. We can say no to that. We can serve ourselves. But what God wants, if life is going to work like it's meant to work, meant to work, he wants to express himself through us. He wants to flow through us into this world. And so as we're filled, our inner life filled with God, we get to let the world know who he is. We testify to him. Like good artworks, every artwork is expressing something out of the artist. And he wants to express himself through you. Each one of us unique, a unique fingerprint of God on every human being. No two humans alike, no two dogs or trees or snowflakes. God makes everything different. He's unique. He's eternal. He, he's, he can express himself in so many ways, and he wants to express himself through you. So we need to recognize, I'm here to contain him. I'm here to let him be made known in this world. And when we do that, when we lose our lives for his sake, what does Jesus say? Lose your life for my sake, and what? And you'll find your life. As long as we keep thinking, I'm here for me, we're going to always be off track. But when we start saying, I'm here for him, suddenly Jesus says, ah, now you're getting it. You're going to find out what life is really all about. You're meant to be in union with God. It's meant to be beautiful and life-giving. That's what it's about. Second truth. First one, the main purpose for God making you is not to do something but contain someone. Second truth about you is that God wants you to be the truth about him. The truth about you is that God wants you to be the truth about him. Isn't that the very first assignment we were given as human beings when God created people? This is what's called the Adamic covenant. The covenant he made with Adam has never been revoked, still functioning. And what is it? He makes male and female in his image. That's our first assignment, to bear the image of God in this world, to let him reflect so people can see his beauty, taste his goodness, know his truth, feel his love. That's what we're about, that God wants you to be the truth about him. Father, I pray that our lives would say yes to you for your plans, for your purposes. Lord, beyond what we can figure out, God, help us to surrender in faith to a creator who's bigger than we could ever figure out anyway. Help us to say yes to you. Help us, God, to make room, to give time, to allow you to contour our inner lives and to change our inner atmosphere where you can abide in us and be at home in us. Oh, God, make that true for us. Touch us, Lord. Call us to yourself that we might live to let you shine through us. Would you stand with me? We hope you've enjoyed this episode from Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary Community Church, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com.